Welcome to the Renovate Church Sermon Podcast. At Renovate Church, we are passionate about teaching God's Word in such a way that you really get to know the heart and character of God and where you can apply the truth of Scripture to every aspect of living. We believe that God's Word is relevant and has the power to transform your life. We're excited for this most recent sermon and we hope it blesses and encourages you. Glad to have you guys here. So as Tato said, we're in week two of Mythbusters, and what we're doing is looking at some of the myths that are out in culture in the, that are pushing back on Christianity and challenging Christianity to see whether or not they hold up or if they should be let go of. So in the Mythbusters on Discovery Channel, what they would do was put things through these scientific tests to see, hey, what is plausible, what's confirmed, and then what should be rejected, what's busted. So as an example this week, I was looking at, they listed in one website every single uh, myth they attempted to bust. It was over a 1,000. And one of the ones that surprised me was that Men are more quicker to ask for directions when driving than women. Yeah. I, it shocked me because I never asked for directions. <laughs> but that was one of the myths that they busted. And so today, we're going to look at this, this myth that's out there that's kind of been in every generation. There's always this pushback on... Is the Bible, is the Word of God something that should be received, or is the Bible something that is flawed, it's untrustworthy, it's outdated, and should be rejected? So a lot of people push back on the, on the authority of the Bible. Is the Bible really God's Word, or is it just written by men and has it been changed so much over the years that we actually don't have the real interpretation that was originally given? So let me read this quote to you as we get going this morning. And I think it's, it's pretty powerful. It says this, it's by Forrest Weiland. He's a professor of biblical studies at Veritas Evangelical Seminary. He said... There is a real sense in which, quote, inerrancy, and what all that's saying is, is that, hey, either the Bible is true, guys, and if the Bible is going to be true, it has to be true historically. Because how can we trust eternal things? How can we trust salvation? How can we trust these things if the Bible isn't even historically true? Even if it's not consistent within itself, then why would we believe it for anything? So what he's saying is there's a real sense in which inerrancy is the most important doctrine of the Bible. For every other major and minor doctrine is derived from that one source, whether it be the Trinity, the deity of Christ, or salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. 
Inerrancy is taught throughout the Bible, but the words of Psalm 19.7 powerfully crystallize the teaching, the law of the Lord is perfect. So what he's saying in this quote is that if we, if we don't believe that God is authentically and genuinely speaking through the Bible, through his word, then that is the foundational doctrine for believing anything else that it says. So why are we going to believe what it says about Jesus? Why are we going to believe what it says about grace? Why are we going to believe what it says about salvation? Why are we going to believe what it says about eternity if we can't believe, first and foremost, that it's actually God who authored it? So, our myth that we're attempting to look at today, the Bible cannot be trusted as it is flawed, unreliable, outdated, and an inconsistent book. Um, here's a myth that the Mythbusters set out to examine. On the screen here, we're going to look at it from the movie Jaws and whether or not a shark could really be blown up by shooting into a tank. Time to put the exploding scuba tank myth under the gun. We know a bullet can penetrate a tank's thick aluminum base. But that tank was empty. Next, we got one charge tank. This one should be somewhat exciting. This tank contains 80 cubic feet of compressed air stored at 3,000 PSI. I think we're gonna poke a hole in it. I think there'll be a really loud noise or maybe even a, a little bit of a rupture, but I don't believe this is gonna be like a bomb going off. What I'm hoping for is to come around the corner and find the container bowed out in every possible way from the force of the blast. Now, if everyone could just cower behind the nearest masonry. Starting the trigger now. The tank took off like the proverbial rocket, propelled around the container by a jet of compressed air. It looks like it collected a little paint from the red <laughs> primer. <laughs> hey, Sharky's still alive. We got a beautiful shot right dead center of the bottom of the tank. The tank did not actually split all the way open. In fact, it shot like a rocket and bounced around in here and tore up some of the back of our Sharky but uh, didn't explode. Time to put the exploding scuba... All right, so if you're ever in the middle of the ocean and you're being attacked by a 25-foot shark, you know that that tactic will not work. So we, we try to practically inform as well here at Renovate, not just spiritually. All right, so we're going to look, guys, at seven reasons why I believe the Bible is authoritative, okay? So the first is this, there's the logical reasons, and that's called internal consistency. So what does the Bible actually say about itself? So all kinds of scriptures seem to point to that it itself is saying that it is the authoritative word of God. So... Thus says the Lord, 
appears approximately 415 times in 413 verses and 161 chapters in the Bible. If you add in the phrase, God said, with thus says the Lord, you're well over a thousand times that that phrase is used. So the Bible itself is indicating that it is God who is speaking. Secondly, let's look at some scriptures that point to this. So, one of the first scriptures, and these are powerful, says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So all scripture, the Bible itself says, is breathed out by God. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the way God, God is the author of the story. He's the author of the book. He has moved on people's hearts. He has spoken to them and they recorded what he said. And that's what's become our Bible. So God is the one who, who is the author. This is what it's saying. It, you received it as what it was, the very word of God, not the word of men. Look at what it goes on to say. In 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then last, Psalm 119, 160. And guys, this is just four of literally probably 50 plus scriptures that I could have chose from to put in in this first section. So the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So... There's a logical reason for believing that the Bible is the word of God and what it's called is internal consistency. The Bible itself seems to be speaking and indicating that it is the word of God. Okay, second reason. Historical reasons. Okay, so as I said earlier, the Bible, if the Bible is not historically accurate, why would we believe anything else it says? So it has to be rooted historically. Here's the thing. History lines up and affirms the Bible's reliability and consistency. So one of the things that, that people do when they're studying these types of things, it's called... It's called um, manuscript evidence. So what kind of manuscript evidence is there for the Bible? Now let me just give you some examples here, okay? So in four, from 460 to 365 BC, 
um, there was an author who wrote on Greco-Roman culture. It's considered to be one of the most genuine, accurate, authentic works in all of history. There's eight manuscripts that are available today. The earliest was 1,300 years after the events that were recorded. There are five copies of Aristotle's poetics dated 1,400 years after the original. So Aristotle wrote works called the Poetics. There are five copies of his works that have been verified as true and authentic. Caesar's Gaelic Wars from 58 BC has only two copies, and it was a thousand years after his death, and it's considered authentic and reliable. So it's called manuscript evidence. So anything that we're looking at historically, there has to be this manuscript evidence. Two biographies of Alexander the Great are considered one, two of the most historically accurate in all of history. The earliest is 400 years after his death. So as we go back and look at Homer's Iliad, as we look at these writings and we say, okay, hey, we can verify that these are historically true. The, by far, most historically reliable book in all of history is the Bible. And I'm not saying that as a Christian pastor in Leander, Texas. This is what the Smithsonian Institute says. Because guys, you have to understand that when we do the research, and we talked about this last week, that the scripture that we looked at in the book of Acts, it said the Bereans were noble. They, ex they took what Paul was saying and with, they, with eagerness, and then they went and examined whether the evidence was true or not. Now, you have to understand, guys, that you, we can all sit here and be skeptics or we can be believers. Most of us in this world here don't actually take the time to go and research whether this stuff is actually true or not. We hear somebody do a podcast and we go, yeah, that sounds true. We don't do the research. You have to understand, guys, that there are tens of thousands of historians and scientists that, that go and they actually do this stuff. They actually do the archaeological digs. They do the history. They go back. If you really spend the time looking at it, what you'll find is that there are people on this side who say, no, hey, this is what the Bible truly said, we believe this, we believe it lines up historically and archaeologically and so forth, and then you'll have people that push back. But you have to understand that there's people on both sides, because one of the biggest pushbacks in culture today, especially among the young generation, is that faith and science can't be compatible. And that's just not true. Because historically, some of the greatest scientists and historians and linguists and so have been believers. So there are over 25,000 copies of the New Testament. Most of them were written within 15 to 20 years of the events that were taking place. So the 
the manuscript evidence, the interval of time between actual events and composition. This is another thing that they look at. Hey, if something was written a thousand years after it happened, the probability that that story is going to evolve or change is more realistic. Most of the accounts of the gospel were written 15 to 20 years at most, 30 to 50 years after the accident. So what this means is the people who were actually eyewitnesses were still alive to verify whether what was being written was true or not. So the interval of time is huge. And then last, Tim Keller, who just passed away, an incredible pastor and leader, talks about that many people in the culture today will push back and say, hey, the Bible was written to try to accrue power. That that's why it was written, that, that Christians wanted to, to accrue power. And he goes, but if you read the, the Bible, it's actually counterproductive content. If you're really trying to accrue power, why would you put yourself in a position where you have no power? Where you're persecuted. Why would you show Jesus as a hero? Weak, suffering. Why would you show this? Why would you show the, uh, the faults of the disciples and all the things that they did wrong? If you're making it up, you're not showing that stuff. Look at what is said by the Smithsonian Institute. It'll be on the screen. This is the Smithsonian, guys. This isn't Pastor Dave at Redhorn. Well, I believe the Bible because I did some archaeological digs in my backyard in Leander and found limestone inscripted with ancient Hebrew. The historical books of the Old Testament are as accurate historical documents as any that have from antiquity and are in fact more accurate than many of the Egyptian, Mesopotamian, or Greek histories. These biblical records can be and are used as other ancient documents in archeological work. The Smithsonian Institute Department of Anthropology's official statement pertaining to the historical reliability of the Old Testament. In other words, what the Smithsonian is saying is the Old Testament is so historically accurate that they actually judge other works by it. That's how accurate it is. So there's, not only is there this logical reason for believing that the Bible is, is true, there is the historic reason. Let's keep moving. Scientific reasons. I challenge you at some point, go, just go do it, Google Science and the Bible. And you'll see that there are probably 50 things that were talked about in the Bible that weren't invented until thousands of years later. And how medicine was practiced, how uh, if somebody had a disease, quarantining them, all these, you can actually go through historically and see who invented these things, and then actually they were in the Bible. So the Bible is scientifically accurate. Science supports biblical creation, experience, and ideas. 
The Bible was giving accurate scientific and medical information thousands of years before their discoveries by humans. It speaks about the things of nature, including cosmology, geology, biochemistry. Look, the, the individual who first set out to discover the currents in the ocean did so because he read in the Bible talking about the currents. He read it in the Bible and said, hey, I'm going to go explore this oceanography and see if it's true. And, and, and that's what he found out. It was already in the Bible. Thousands of the greatest scientists throughout history were actual Bible-believing Christians, men like the chemist Robert Boyle, Isaac Newton, Lord Kelvin, creator of the science of thermodynamics, Louis Pasteur, all firmly believed in the Bible as the word of God and scientifically reliable. Seriously, guys, and Sammy knows this. Sammy was in a high school Bible study with me. Back on the back, there's books that I want to challenge we bought them as a church. We have Reason for God, and we have The Problem of God by Mark Clark. Take a copy on us. Read it deep in yourself when you leave today. But Sammy and I, I and some others were doing a high school Bible study on the problem of God, and chapter one was the problem of science and God and how they're not compatible, faith. So I'm getting ready to go lead this Bible study and so I'm like, hey, I don't want to just go unprepared. I want to actually go. So I typed in, Googled Christians who have had an influence in science. And a Wikipedia page came up, and it goes back 1,100 to 1,200, 1,200 to 1,300, 1,300 to 1,400, 1,400 to 1,500, 1,600 to 1,700, da-da-da-da-da. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of names there of believers who actually were the leaders in thought in all these areas. And I did, I, I pulled my computer out and I went to the Wikipedia page and I just started reading. Did you know this guy? Look at what he did, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this lady, and this lady, and this girl, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy. And it went on and on and on. Guys, science isn't opposed to faith in the Bible. It supports it. It supports it. Fourth, so there's not only the logical reasons, there's not only the historical reasons, there's not only the scientific reasons, there's the archaeological reasons. Let me just read first before we get into this. This is by Nelson Gluck. He's a Jewish archaeologist, considered to be one of the top three archaeologists in all of history. Again, not Pastor Dave in his backyard digging up limestone. Quote, no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a single properly understood biblical statement. Just go research all the archaeology. For years, people said, oh, there is no nation called the Hittites. There's no history of them. It's in the Bible, and it's not true. And then 
in 1878 or whatever, they were doing an archaeological dig in Turkey and found the Hittite civilization. The more, we, the more it supports the truth of what's in the Bible. So let me just read some of this. So the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, the Qumran Scrolls in, near the Dead Sea, they found 972 manuscripts from the 3rd century B.C. to the 1st century A.D., all of them accurate to what we have today. The Dead Sea Scroll discovery was one of the greatest because it's showing, and you have to understand, guys, that the Jewish culture went through incredible lengths to preserve the accuracy of Scripture. What we have today, most people who study this stuff will tell you that it's 99.5% similar and accurate to everything that was coming from the first century. There are small, it's not this radical... And the Dead Sea Scrolls went so, so far to prove that because we had the actual manuscripts from Isaiah and other Old Testament documents. Archaeological evidence supports it. Hundreds of archaeological discoveries have confirmed the Bible's accuracy and truth. Fifth, Prophetic reasons. Fulfilled Bible prophecies prove its truthfulness and supernatural nature. Let me read Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Listen, 27% of the Bible is prophetic in nature. There's no other, there's no other, guys, I, I would chat, there's no other religious book out there that is prophetic in nature, calling events that are going to happen. Thousands of prophecies have already been confirmed through the Bible. It's supernatural. The book is supernatural. If God is really writing it, he knows the end from the beginning. Prophecies about Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel coming back into existence. Other ancient nations. I could just give you one and challenge you to go study it. Go study Ezekiel 26. And match it up with history where God says to the city of Tyre, I'm going to, you will no longer exist and you will never come back into being city of Tyre because of your pride. And you can go historically and watch it, what happens, take history and take the Bible in Ezekiel 26 and just watch how the city of Tyre was eliminated. And to this day, it doesn't exist. You would think somebody would just go, well, let's just go start a city called Tyr. <laughs> but yet somehow, it's not here. And the Bible said it. I'd, I'd challenge you to go study that. 
So there's not only logical reasons, there's not only historical reasons, there's not only scientific reasons, there's not only archaeological reasons, there's not only prophetic reasons, but there's Christological reasons. If we believe that Jesus was who he says he was and that he was proven who he says he was, then what Jesus actually says matters. And Jesus confirmed the Old Testament as God's word and authoritative. He spoke over a hundred times using the Old Testament. The apostles 209 times affirmed the Old Testament. So did Jesus actually believe the characters of the Old Testament? Jonah, Elijah, Abraham, Moses. Did he actually believe that they were true, that their stories were true? Yes! He used them. He spoke of them. He affirmed them. He spoke as if the Old Testament was the authoritative word of God. But then last, this is not only logical, there's not only historical, there's not only scientific, there's not only archaeological, there's not only prophetic, there's not only Christological, but there's practical. There's personal reasons why I believe the Bible is the word of God because it's shown the power to change and transform lives. In 1971, there was a man living in Vietnam named Hein Pham, H-E-I-N-P-H-A-M, Hein Pham. Hein Pham was an interpreter, and Hein Pham began to read some things. He was a Buddhist, and he began to read some things about Christianity and it intrigued him. And Haim Pham went and he found some believers and, and he began to ask them about this God of creation, this God of love, this God of mercy, this God of intimacy, this God who could be known, this God who was transcendent yet eminent, this God who was full of grace, this God who had provided a way of salvation, this God who was holy and right and pure and true. And they explained the gospel to him. And Hein Pham became a believer. And shortly thereafter, Vietnam fell to communism. And Hein Pham was targeted because he spoke English. And they said, hey, you're helping the West. And they put Hein Pham in prison. And they didn't let him read anything of Christianity, nothing of English. He could only read French and Vietnamese. And they fed him propaganda month after month. And Hein Pham said that after months of this, he began to doubt the existence of God. And he said one night, I'm going to get up in the morning, and for the first time in years... I'm going to let go of my belief in God and I'm going to not pray. He got up that morning and he didn't pray for the first time in years. One of the prison guards comes in and says, 
Hein, your assignment today is to go wash out the latrine of the guards. So Hein Pham goes, he's washing out the latrine, and as he's beginning to do it, something catches his eye. It's English. And he looks down into this latrine, and he sees a page of the Bible that the guard had been using to wipe his rear end with. And he pulls it out, and he washes it off, and he puts it into his pocket. And when he gets back to his cell that night, he begins to read it, and what he reads is Romans chapter 8. This is what it said. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what he read. And he said it sustained him in prison in a communist propaganda circumstance. And Hein Pham went to the guards and he said, if, if, if you would do me this honor, I would like to continue to clean the latrines. And every day he would go in and he would find another page of the Bible and he would pull it out and he would wipe it off. He would put it in his pocket. And when he was released from prison, his faith was intact. And he's going to escape from Vietnam. And he arranges a secret thing with 53 other people. And guards come to him to his home and they say, we hear that you're secretly planning to escape from Vietnam. And he says, no, I'm not. And they say, well, we have word that you are. He says, I'm not. The guards leave. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him, the same author of the Bible, and says, Han, if they come back, tell them the truth. What? Later that night, they come back. You can read his story. Just type in the story of Hein Pham. They come back, and they say, no, we have really good word that you are trying to escape. And he says, yes, I am, me and 53 others. And they said, we want to go with you. The four guards get in the boat, and when they get out, a storm hits, and all four of those guards were expert seamen. And they navigated the storms, and they got it. Hein Pham came to the United States, got his degree from Cal Berkeley, 
and became one of the most outspoken Christians. The Bible has the power to transform our lives. Scripture itself says it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. There's been times in my life where I need a word from God. And we have it in the Bible. But if we let culture disconnect us from that word and disconnect it from that power and disconnect it from that truth, Heimbaum, the day that he was ready to give up on his Christianity and renounce it was the day God sent his word into a toilet. So culture will tell us the Bible's flawed, it's inconsistent, it's outdated, it's irrelevant, it's untrustworthy. I would submit to you today, busted. Busted. For logical reasons, for historical reasons, for scientific reasons, for archaeological reasons, for prophetic reasons, for Christological reasons, and for personal reasons. Guys, we live in a culture, man, that's just full of unbelief, cynicism, sarcasm. There's no absolutes. There's no truth. Your truth, whatever you want your truth to be, it can be your truth. Dude, my Bible also says that, <laughs> that the heart is deceitfully wicked. I don't want my truth. My truth is jacked up. I need the truth. I don't need circumstantial truth, guys. I was going to use some images this morning from the 1940s and 50s when 27,000 doctors, and you can actually just Google this and go to images, 27,000 doctors tell you that smoking is good for you. In the 1940s and 50s, doctors were saying, there's a health benefit to smoking cigarettes. And we look at that now and we go, that's insane. But what are we believing today that is being told us and fed us that 15, 20 years from now we're going to look back and go, why did we believe that? Because this thing right here, the word of God, is true, trustworthy, eternal, unchanging, unchanging. Let me have the worship team come up. We're going to end with a song. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you're true, that you're living. Thank you for your desire to make yourself known to us. Through your word, we get to see your character. We get to see your nature. We get to see your purpose. We get to see your heart. We get to see your plan. God, we get to see 
who you are. Thank you for that. Thank you that Jesus said, your word is truth. Let us receive your word as exactly that. In a skeptical, cynical, unbelieving world, let us hold firmly to the truth. We ask this, Father, in your mighty name, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we are so glad that you joined us for our service this morning. If you are interested in learning about how you can start a relationship with Jesus, we would love to be here to talk that through with you. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, that whoever has the Son has life. And we really believe that here at Renovate. So again, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, if you're just interested in learning more about the faith, you have questions, we'd love to hear from you as well. Or if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus or get more involved in what we're doing, we'd love to hear from you. So just go ahead and comment on the platform that you're at or reach out to us by email at info at renovatechurch.com. Again, we're so glad you were able to join us. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to hearing from you soon.